Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hi there, this is Mike Daniel from 19 Hits the Dragon, a discussion podcast where I sit down with some of my favorite creators in the tabletop RPG space and talk about various aspects of the games we all love to play and be big nerds about stuff in general. Maybe we'll edit that out, who knows? Ah, I have chills. If you spend 40 minutes trying to get as much info as you can out of that one guy at the bar who clearly has nothing to say. I know how to talk. It's something that I do all the time. God, Michael, what are you doing? Um, At face value, that statement sounds really shitty. I get that. <laughs> but I mean, I'm already think, getting them to think there's a, a reptilian guy about four and a half feet tall with sharp teeth and, and a little dagger who goes, I'm going to get you. You know, um, and while the voice sells it a lot. Yeah, like, uh, I'm brooding in the corner. I won't talk to anyone. Like, well, you're getting left yeah, behind because... The, the castle's <laughs> under attack, and if you're not going, sorry, right. bud. Uh, oh, you're finally awake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, we, we don't know anything about going off topic here at 19 It's the Dragon, always staying on topic, always. So. I said yeah. a lot of bad words when I when you lost me. So. <laughs> so join me and my guests every two weeks for insightful tips, tricks, and traps for players and GMs alike. Uh, we'll see you all there when 19 Hits the Dragon. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. So we are bringing the month of April and our Critical Role content to a close. Sadly, we've had some fantastic shows this month for you. Our breakdown of uh, of Vox Machina, our interviews with Hannah Rose and Sadie Lowry uh, were fantastic. Our deep dive into Call of the Netherdeep, also another uh, really great, fun show to go ahead and talk about. And tonight, we are going to be finishing up Critical Role Month with a deep dive discussion of the Bloodhunter class. Joining me, as always, erstwhile co-host, Lee Nika. How are things tonight, Mr. Miller? Things are fine, fine. Yeah, it's a good week. A lot of exciting news came up. Spelljammer, Dragonlance, we've been talking about it. I have lots of great thoughts, and there's all kinds of cool things to come from that. But right now, I'm just jazzed to jump into the Blood Hunter and see what's Absolutely, happening yeah. with that. 
Also joining us from from the central time zone this evening, from uh, from the windy city of Chicago, a uh, friend of the show from the 19 Hits the Dragon podcast, Mike Daniel. Mike, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hey, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited to, to be on the show and be chatting with y'all here. Yeah, absolutely. And we're we're really looking forward to this because, we, Mike, we've done a bunch of stuff before. We love talking with you. Love having you on our show. Love going on your show. This is always going to be a great time. So uh, I'm really looking I'll, forward to it. I'll pay uh, you those $5 later, Josh. Actually, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, my uh, checks in the mail. I'll take mine time. now. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. What's your Venmo? What's my Venmo? Uh, yeah. Exactly yeah. right. right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's always a blast uh, getting to chat with you guys here and and hang out with the uh, the Tabletop Journeys crew. I'm excited to be on here and and thanks for for inviting me out. Looking yeah, absolutely. Let's start talking about Blood Hunter and Critical Role. Now, Mike, we've been talking all month about Critical Role and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about what your history with Critical Role is and what Critical no- Role knowledge you come with, if any at all. Uh, what? Jeez, what is Critical Role again? Uh, <laughs> no, just uh, I'm totally kidding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got into Critical Roles midway into the first campaign and watched through most of the first campaign. My history with Critical Role is that they put out so much content, I just cannot keep up with it. So I I struggled to stay in the loop, so to speak. Really like Critical Role and love all of the uh, the players. And Matt Mercer, obviously, is a great GM. And I think Travis William is maybe uh, like a dream player to have at one of my tables. I just haven't had the chance to uh, to get caught up because there's so much tabletop RPG content out there. It's tough to stay in the loop. So it is is, follow on Twitter and like it will occasionally do check in on like the the wrap not wrap ups that they have recaps i guess i, I can't remember what they're called but like yeah, that yeah. talks mocking stuff that they've done in the past as well so i'll, I'll check in on yeah. that and get a sense of what's going on with the story so i can be in in the know so to speak as a <laughs> tabletop rpg creator myself yeah, i i totally hear what you're saying because with the amount of content that they put out this is someday soon this podcast will be our 9 to 5 however yeah, yeah. until it does that there's only so much content that one can ingest on a daily basis and, and yeah uh, absolutely uh, so I totally I, especially when that. like you guys I interview people for <laughs> my show as well. Right, so I right. got to catch up on all of their stuff yeah, too. Yeah, like it's yeah, just, yeah, totally. just tough. Yeah. I only got so many hours in the day. Without any further ado, let us dive in here. And so as we often do when we're talking about classes and subclasses and all that sort of stuff, we talk with sort of surface thoughts, base thoughts on the makeup of the class, what we think. And Mr. Miller, since I asked Mike the first question, I throw to you the second question. Talk to us about the Blood Hunter and talk to us about what you saw on an overall level when you dove in there. Blood Hunter, I've known it was a critical role class. I have not seen, I had seen it at a couple tables, Adventure League or Adventure League. I don't know if it was played particularly well in, in retrospect, based on what I've read recently preparing for this episode. But my surface thoughts are that this is entirely cool, but extremely complex. Yep. I think this is a class that needs to be investigated, that needs to be played that demands a really good DM, that demands a deep story, a good plot. This is, I don't think this is a a really good one-shot kind of character. I don't think this is a good, I rolled up a quick tune to play every now and then, here, pick them up from time to time. This is the kind of character that you want to invest in. You'll take an hour figuring out the perfect background for the concept you have in your head. And then when you really put this together, you want to live this character's 
life. You want the day to day. You want to really live and breathe in that tier one and low tier two. Like you want to, you want five or six separate adventures at each level in those lower tiers in order to really get the meat out of this character because what they do is awesome. I think there's some challenges when it gets to higher levels, especially if you're in even remotely a larger party uh, or too small a party. There's a sweet spot for this character with party size. There's a sweet spot with level for your enjoyment and then separately your effectiveness. And that's kind of my take on the uh, classes. I think cool but complex is probably the uh, the beginning and the end of my notes on this one. So that's our show for tonight. I might yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for joining that's... us. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, we I did think... you shade, Ant? No. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Yeah, for real. I think you nailed it. I think that there's a lot in there that uh, that we can take away from that. But but Mike, what about you? Uh, what about your thoughts here? Uh, what, what could you possibly add that Mr. Mueller didn't just say? Yeah. Lee covered all of the the basic thoughts that I have. If you're ready, I got a, a spy you take for you here. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I think rather than just creating a whole new class for the Blood Hunter, what Matt Mercer should have done was created several blood themed subclasses for other existing classes. I think it's really cool. I love the flavor. I love a lot of the concepts. Lee said there's a ton of options to pick apart. And some of the subclasses, when you get into them as well, there are options within options and there are like subclasses within subclasses almost so i wish that instead of packaging it all together as one blood hunter class we would have gotten a number of subclasses to fit into the fighter the ranger the warlock and so forth there so that's my biggest and spiciest take on the blood hunter class. I think that that makes so much sense in fact mike because i think that when you're looking at the way that the class is built and i'm gonna i'm gonna add a spicy take of my own on top of your spicy take here i think that the weakest part of the blood hunter class as a whole is the blood hunter class abilities i think the subclass exactly. is definitely better written exactly and better no. served than the class itself yeah the class I, itself kept seeming like it was looking for something i i kept asking myself as i was reading through kind of the base class chassis is what does this offer that the other core classes do not? Yep. Yep. And I'm still struggling to answer that question. Obviously, there's a lot of like cool flavor stuff and concept cool, yeah. stuff to it, but why? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, why would I want I'm this? I'm glad yeah. that we're all on the same page. I love the fact that I laid down a good meal and then both of you put on the perfect amounts of hot sauce on it because that's <laughs> I'm hungry. I had a long day at work. Everything's going to be food for me today. But I think that to follow what you're saying uh, is that it really calls to mind why I've never wanted to build another class. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. I think the original covered it. And Artificer, at best, is the only thing I think that really could be enough different that it deserved its own class so i'm happy with the artificer if you ask me i couldn't think of what you would do for another class i just can't think of what it would be mm -hmm. and i don't and i think what happens with the with this with the blood hunter is that it isn't it like it's not different enough from any one thing and Mm -hmm. it tries Mm -hmm. to be a couple of different things it's in some ways it's an idealized or flavored hex blade yeah, and that's cool. 
Because I like Hexblades. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I like that within the Warlock. I also like fighters who pick up Warlock things or multi-class into Warlock. I love that flavor mix. Even the, the one that I rolled up for our future class warfare, I went with the Profane Soul for that exact reason. It calls to that. But I just don't see it as its own thing very well. But that doesn't take away from the flavor. Like, yeah. none of that takes away from the flavor. This is really yeah. deep. And to throw back a little bit to our interview with Sadie Lowry, one of the things that she said is that when they were talking about Call of the Netherdeep and the writing of Call of the Netherdeep, that when they were getting towards chapter six there, there was this whole scene that they were talking about, and her initial draft of it was super complicated. And it because mm-hmm. it started creating this whole other set of, so a whole other health, like a psychic health bar, and mm-hmm. like all this super mechanical, super crunchy complications that they basically just pared down and pared down and pared down to go ahead and Mm. make that whole chapter more agile and everything like that. And I see this class having the same problem. Like As cool as the whole Hemocrit thing is, and as much as I feel like it's trying to be a nod to things like the Battlemaster and things like that, and even Mm. like Bards on some level that kind of get this additional die and they're they're, they're resting on that mechanic to go ahead and give the Bloodhunter some special stuff. It's a good idea, but it it's like 120% of a good idea, right? Like it's right. too much. It's yeah. too much. And they, they should have stepped off the gas just a little bit to really flesh this out and make its mechanics not cr- quite so over the top. Because mm-hmm. I'm not sure mm-hmm. that they're good over the top. It's not like it's overpowered. There's just mm-hmm. a lot of it. And that's a difficult balance to strike, I think. Extremely difficult. So. Completely agree. I'm also coming to this from a bit of an interesting place because I just recently had an interview on my show, which I know we'll do plugs later, but I yeah. had an interview with my on my show with some folks who really focus in on creating subclasses. And we had a really great discussion about some of the approaches that you take to making subclasses and building off of the, the nice. core class and et cetera, et cetera. And we got into a bit of like why creating a whole new class is something that's very difficult to do. And I think what we're talking about right now with Bloodhunter really touches on a lot of those points. Let's crack this open a little bit here and let's get into some of these abilities. We're going to we're gonna go through the abilities that the base class gets and just talk about them a little bit, like where we think they're good, where we think they need up their opportunity is. Do they work? Do they fall apart? All that sort of stuff. And so we'll start with the first kind of formative characteristic of the Bloodhunters, and that's the Hunter's Bane Ritual. The dangerous, long-guarded ritual that alters your life's blood, forever binding you to the darkness and honing your senses against it. As a concept, the Hunter's Bane, for one, is super flavorful, which is it's, mm-hmm. it's an awesome concept about mm-hmm. how they get this information or how they get this ability. The, the whole Hemocraft mechanic is solid enough as it is. I think that the issues we're going to see with Hemocraft come up, come up later. But what do you guys think about that? I like the mechanical concept of have extra dice that you can do special things. It builds in some balance in that it's a limited resource. I like limited resources where they can go off the rails or where they can get complicated is if the use of those dice is too interdependent on things you might also be doing. So you have to be careful there. And I think they did an okay job of not doubling down on that, but some of the decisions they did to not double down were unique and odd. So for instance, you don't want to have a die that you can activate that takes a bonus action. If you're a rogue, why? Because rogues have tons of bonus actions. 
You right. either want that those die to be utilized by reactions uh, or don't take a reaction at all and you just get to use them, right? If you're doing a subclass for a rogue or any anything dealing with a rogue because bonus actions are your bread and butter. Yep. Now, if you're a fighter, you don't have a lot of things. Same thing with monks, by the way, because they utilize their bonus actions. Anything that uses bonus actions a lot, you want to avoid having any mechanic that rests on the additional bonus action. That's a, a very important thought process when you're designing mechanics. Have a nice die. That's cool. It's thematic. But if it, you got to activate it correctly. And I think they did an okay job with that later on, but some of them were odd choices. Some of them were odd choices. A lot, too many things that required no active action costs that I thought were a little powerful for no activation costs. Yep. I would have preferred them to be you utilize your reaction and find some way to flavor that better than none at all. But again, so many things they have based on these dices and so many choices, they were running out of activation yeah. points. They're, they're running out of, of action economy points to go ahead and hook it onto. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, so. 100%. I, I do just want to point out some of the neat things that you do get with Hunter's Bane right at like kind of the starting package is advantage on survival checks to mm-hmm. track fey fiends and undead, as well as advantage on intelligence checks to recall information about those creatures. I thought that was a really cool flavor. Again, parking on some of the things that the ranger might have access to, but in a way that's a little bit unique here, because the whole point of the blood hunter is that you are a hunter right you are hunting these kind of extra dimensional creatures or undead and it's a really nice advantage on checks to find information about those types of creatures is pretty handy so i dig it so let's talk about the other kind of big thing that you start getting at first level and that's the ability to gain blood curses through the blood maledict powers you can now you can channel part of your vital essence to curse and manipulate creatures through hemocraft magic. And this is really the first thing that we see where there's just options on options. We're not going to spend the next hour going through all 15 blood curses, but I do think that, yeah, but I think that your point Lunic is really, is really poignant on in the blood curses in particular, because a lot of them are bonus actions. A lot of them are bonus actions. And then they, especially on some of the higher level ones, they get away from that and they get away. They start getting into things that you can trigger without any kind of action economy necessary or that thing that take an entire action and stuff like that. Uh, but in general, I liked the blood curses as a concept. Again, this guy, I have this ability and I can upcast slash amplify slash whatever kind of verb you, you want to attach to it. But I can go ahead and say, not only can I blood curse, but I can also blood curse a little bit more than I could before. And I thought that, I, that was a neat way to go ahead and go about that. Yeah. Affectionately, I, I refer to it as the blood hunter can put some stank on it. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of the, the, the curse of the eyeless that uh, that's the, when your creature can see within 30, uh, creature you see within 30 feet of you makes an attack. You can use a reaction, roll a hemocraft die. And if uh, you can choose to, uh, was it subtract the number from the creature's attack roll. So it's basically the, now you hit me, now you don't power, that kind of thing. But yeah. if the it's but it's immune to the but the creatures are immune to that power if they're immune to being blinded and stuff like that. They all have these there's just a lot of complexity in there. Yeah. yeah uh, and, and that's well, actually an interesting thing that you mentioned, and we didn't mention it when we were talking about or maybe it didn't come up yet, but 
there's a number of things that are like, if the creature doesn't have blood, this doesn't work. And I think that's very cool. Beware. That means anytime your blood hunter's on a spell jammer with a plasmoid, he's the one guy you can't mess with. Um, right. <laughs> so just be aware of that. Well, um, and, and- I, but I like that because that speaks to the flavor. It's a weird limitation and it's a tough limitation. Yeah, especially but, where one of the creature types that blood hunters are so good against are undead. Undead, exactly. Do undead have blood? Do they not? Who knows? Well, I mean, skeletons <laughs> don't, right? It's I like guess zombies might. Yeah, zombies <laughs> might. Zombies um, might. Ghosts probably don't have blood. Like right, li- right. liches and mummies are all dried up, so they yeah, wouldn't probably like, have. There's it. blood there, sure, but <laughs> it's not flowing anywhere. So. You know, vampires have plenty of blood, though. So yeah, they've got they, extra it's blood, just so not their do, own. Do, is, does so. they get like double damage because they have is that? Um, um, it would be in funny, but still, that's do, a very strange kind of limitation yeah. to put on something that is spent. That is, under. yeah, it requires a lot from the DM. I think at that point, as yeah. Lee mentioned earlier, it requires a DM who's really into the blood stuff as well they have to be knowledgeable and understand these things if you're building a game you just gotta make that game live which means mm-hmm. when you come up with these questions because they're not answered in the rules not, right. and I re- i've read this five separate times because i was looking for answers and trying to fight through the complexity here they're not there and that's okay we love power by the apocalypse we love these games that do leave things up to interpretation but again mm-hmm. It is dependent, as you said, Mike, asks a lot of your DM. This is not the kind of thing you want at your table if you're new as a DM, and it is not the kind of thing you want to play if you're new as a player. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very big point is that don't your player that has never played Dungeons and Dragons before might want to play a blood hunter because they sound really cool. Right. Uh, They're not going to give them a ranger. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We've talked a little bit about kind of the neat flavor things and some stuff that's putting a lot on the DM, but I do like that there are some like drawbacks to a lot of these blood curses as well. It's a lot of give and take, right? You'll do some damage output, but you maybe make yourself vulnerable or things along those lines. And to counterbalance the, all these creatures need to have blood, you can also choose to amplify your curse by hurting yourself a little bit and negate that feature as well and do some other things to bolster the curse too. So there is this kind of strange give and take to the blood curses that are are neat and really flavorful. So. I'm very curious. I don't just want to dunk on this the whole time. It's very (laughs) GURPS-like in in that way. And and any game system that has merits and flaws, it's very much like that. Here's this thing. Mm -hmm. Each power has merits and flaws. So there's a trade-off. Great power comes great. You're going to wreck yourself. It's one of those. so that's actually one of the, so this is going to be a little strange for the audience because they will have already heard our class warfare featuring the blood hunter class, but we have not yet recorded that episode yet. So hmm. what I am very curious about is to see how a party made up of blood hunters who can amplify their powers by taking damage are going to do in a scenario against creatures where the tar- basically the condition of the scenario is to go ahead and be is to be the last people standing to not mm-hmm. get killed mm-hmm. by the big bads that are being thrown at you. And again, I think that this is one of those things that like a party of blood hunters may not be as strong as a blood hunter who is married to the at the hip with a cleric or, or a paladin, a bar, right. or a paladin, someone or, who can, or, yeah, or even a ranger. Them. Yeah, yeah. Or, or a fight, a fighter that can soak the attacks or stuff, stuff like that. Like blood hunters as a group 
may not work well together. And I'm very curious to see how that's going to If you take away 10% of your health, mm -hmm. every time you do the coolest thing you can do, you and can other than that, that you're doing minimal damage, <laughs> yeah. you can't do that often. In a limited run, you're probably all three of them will probably do it twice, would be my guess. So, so. a very uh, a, a poignant example of this is uh, at the beginning of campaign two, Molly Mock, they got in a situation where they were in a scrap and he took a gamble to you know, try and hurt himself too much and went down. And then Oof. the big bad was just like, all right, cool, dad, <laughs> dead. That's like, not fun at ended all. Ended it. Sorry about you. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people were really mad at Matt Mercer for that. And that's beside the point. I think it was the right thing to do. But it illustrates this point that we're making here is that it's a cool thing, but you have to be really careful with it if you're going to be doing it. Yeah. I, I, I believe, and Josh and I have had multiple conversations about how much I love feats, and I think they're very important. This is definitely the kind of class where figuring out when you're going to take the tough feet really comes in. And you have a lot of, and, and actually it's something we should probably talk about. You've got a lot of decisions to make with where you're putting your big numbers. I do point by other people may do standard array. I would never build one of these with standard array, by the way. I, I, I think. Yeah. It is a multi-ability dependent class. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just in and of itself, if so. you're not putting at least a plus one, and honestly, I would say you have to at least get a plus two in, in your constitution you're at a significant disadvantage because basically you have to say, I'm going to get one amplify strictly because I have this feat. Yeah. And so that's a plus two minimum. And that means mm -hmm. you're still not even at the optimum level to count that against your amplifies until you're 10. That's a legitimate concern. So this is one of the times where I'd say constitution definitely has to be at a three, but then it's, I'm still fighting with something other than constitution. So now you've got strength or dex. that has to be at least a three. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And guess mm -hmm. what? All my other crap is working off intelligence or wisdom, which right. means I need it to be at least a three. That means nothing is exceptional in order to have all of those three at the minimal level for yep. some kind of mechanical success. The only thing you can dump is charisma, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, which, which again is going to expose you because every high-powered wizard spell that you're going to be going against in a high, in a tier two, tier three, tier four campaign, they require charisma saves. And if so if your charisma stat is awful, them, yeah. so if your charisma stat's awful, then, you know, well, you're yeah. SOL. And yeah. honestly, you're going to dump something like strength if you went yeah. dex, or you're going to dump dex if you went strength, and you're going to then say, okay, so if I go strength, I'm, I have to be sword and board because mm -hmm. I ha I need the extra two on the AC if I dump my dex. Yeah. Because I can only get the medium armor. So I need the so I need medium armor with with the shield. So at least I'm in the 16 to 17 AC range. You can get away with being lower at lower tiers, but by the time you get to the top end of tier two, you're you got to have a way to be at least a 16 or 17. Just one point about fighting styles. I like classes that have them, and I think more should. <laughs> I just think that they should. I think anything you can do to flavor your style yeah, yeah. is a good thing, and it needs to be built in more. All right, that's fair. I agree. Also, just to touch base on something that we talked about earlier, one of the options for fighting style is two-weapon fighting, which uses your bonus action to be able to use that second attack, that offhand attack. Yeah. Terrible choice for a this A lot class. of your other, your yeah. blood maledicts and stuff will also use that bonus action. So it's a lot of give and take and 
action economy is very key with this class. Moving on then to the Crimson Rites, though. This, I think, and again, I don't even think that we need to drag this out too far because we've already talked about this in the Mm -hmm. whole, like, I'm trading my own health for a cool power. And I think that this is one of those things that it's always nice to be able to change up the type of damage that you're doing when you're fighting certain enemies and realize, oh, crap, I prepared this type of damage and they need this type of damage. It's always nice to be able to to switch that up on the fly when you realize that you're dealing with someone that is immune or someone that has resistance to a certain certain damage type and everything like that. I'm not sure that trade-off is cool enough to go ahead and have to trade health points for. This is a further kind of uh, step down that equation that we were just talking about. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm taking necrotic damage equal to a roll of my Hemocraft die, which, again, if I'm using Crimson Right, I get additional Crimson Rights. At 14th level, my Hemocraft is a D8, right? Mm-hmm. That's now not nothing. And this is, especially where we have other powers that are draining mm-hmm. my, health, my, health, my hit points on the way by, especially now here's another one that, and it's just to go ahead and change up the damage type, basically. That's a big trade-off for a class that is going to continue to go ahead and do damage to itself to go ahead and do its cool things. So, I agree, but I actually like this a, a, a lot, and here's why I'll say that. Part of this is, is me as a storyteller. If I've got a player who wants to play this, they want to play a Blood Hunter. I'm, I am creating a world in which monsters have lore, And learning that lore gives you certain advantages. I would be hiding the details in the monster manual. If your character hasn't seen it, you've got no idea about it. I'm thinking like almost Witcher-like in that regard. So he's got to find the clues and find out what's going on. And then he's got to go out and take take on the thing. So that's what all the flavor stuff is about. That's what all the intelligence checks are about. You learn this from the lore on on these creatures. But if you find out that something's vulnerable, yeah, give them the ability to double down on that vulnerability. But the key is the storyteller has to play the game that way. So he's got to fight unique and interesting monsters or add vulnerabilities where monsters aren't normally in the stat block. You know, take any creature type or any creature right if you simply say okay they're badly affected by iron right okay so now or or they're they're badly affected by fire or they're badly affected by cold then just add that to your creatures just add in a, a vulnerability so that when your blood hunter successfully finds these things either through exploration and storytelling and, and narrating and, and talking with NPCs and learning these things, winning a challenge, figuring out a mystery, puzzles, things of that nature, give them the opportunity to double down on that and and get somewhere with it. And taking that damage to do double damage, I think that's a good trade-off. But if the game isn't being played that way, it's something you'll stop using very quickly. Sure, Players will find out whether or not it's worth using. Yeah, the takeaway that I have from what you said there, Lee, is that it's useful if these creatures are vulnerable to that type of damage, right? Yep. If they are not vulnerable to the damage, then you're just reflavoring the damage that you're already doing to them. Yep. Which is taking hit points to do it. Yeah. And and you're taking hit points to do it. Yep. Um the so, other thing that's that's nice about this is that the right that you choose does stay active until you finish a shorter or long rest. Yep. So if you know that you're going into a fight, you can activate that, harm yourself a little bit. And then if you have like a cleric or anyone who can restore some hit points to you, just give you a healing word to cap you off, then you have yep. that like fire, ice, lightning damage, whatever. Yeah. Um, so like That's it fair. can work, but there are some drawbacks to it. Yeah. I definitely get what you're saying, Josh, that like taking damage just to reflavor your damage type is not great. 
if there's a chance that you might damage them more, then yeah, absolutely. And especially if you have someone who can patch you up a little bit before yeah. you go into that next fight. Yeah. It's not like you're taking that damage every single time you deal the damage. You're just taking the damage when you activate it. So that's one yeah. of those things. If you've got a cleric in your party, you wake up, everybody's having breakfast, the wizard's studying their spells, the ranger's unpacking camp, the rogue's stealing purses or something. And, yeah, and the blood hunters like, stabbing blood, themselves in the yeah, hand it, to yeah. uh, change their damage. <laughs> to get lightning damage. Yeah. I think that this is one of those things that, that, uh, kind of illustrates that this class was written before Tasha's came out because mm-hmm. Tasha's one of the key things about Tasha's was the ability to reflavor and the encouragement to go ahead and say, Hey, if you've got a spell that does X damage type and you really want it to do Y damage type, work with mm-hmm. your DM, DMs, work with your players, blah, 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 Bob's your uncle. I think that if this class had been written after Tasha's, I think for Crimson Right, what we see is that instead of having to take damage from that, I think what you could see is that, hey, you can take one Hemocrit's worth of damage of a particular type and add it to an attack or something like that. The different rules that would have structured this a little bit differently, and maybe not at second level. Maybe it would have escalated up the level a little bit because adding a potential you know D6 of necrotic damage at second level is a lot. That kind of, uh, Necrotic's not one of the options at, at second level, but I mean, you, you see where I'm going with that. Like, I think they would have changed how they did things. They would have taken it away from, I harm myself to, re- to rebrand my damage, to instead I do additional damage of the type that my branding comes in, and now everything's cool. So interestingly i don't know of any creature that's vulnerable to lightning so i i find that to be odd interesting a lot of creatures are resistant to lightning which is funny none are vulnerable actually huh interesting so i i think while it's great flavor and cold and fire yes uh necrotic yes yep uh why they didn't and i understand why they didn't go radiant psychic Yes, but and thunder, while it matches the roar and lightning, by the way, does match the storm. Like, why wouldn't you put force and have it be something to do with water? I can see there's mythological history, like witches or hags might be vulnerable to water damage or what have you. I just didn't understand that as yeah. when I saw it, I'm like, oh, fire damage. Yeah, that's cool. Things burn up or whatever. But I'm like, lightning? Huh. OK. Head scratcher. I think they just needed to be three. It's you know, cool. Yeah, that's why <laughs> it is. You, know, yeah. you need to rule a three. No, you fun. can't do two things. You have to do three things. And they're like, uh, lightning. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What? Let's uh, let's keep going here. Brand of castigation at sixth level. When you damage a creature with a weapon for which you have an act of crimson right, you can channel your magic to sear an arcane brand into that creature. You always know the direction of the branded creature as long as it's on the same plane of you. Further, each time the branded creature deals damage to you or a creature you can see within five feet of you, the branded creature takes psychic damage. I loved this ability i thought this ability was super cool i thought it was great i thought it was the diamond in the rough for me in this class it's the better version of hunter's mark that we wish rangers got right Mm -hmm. it's the you're mine now and every time you do anything i'm gonna know about it and i'm gonna you're not gonna be able to do it as effectively anymore and even just the fact that not just anytime it hits you but anytime it hits a creature within five feet of you it takes damage it's it's hot it is hot and i also love the fact that it can be dispelled for a sixth level power, being able to just dispel it is actually a really nice 
it's balance a really or... nice draw. It's a nice balance. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was gonna say drawback, but it's not really a drawback. But that's a nice balance to it because it's a great power, and it has this one little thing that if you if somebody thinks to dis- to cast dispel magic on you, it it shows up as a magical effect. If it can be dispelled, then clearly it shows up. If I'm like detect magic and stuff like that, it would show up as a magical effect and all that sort of stuff. I thought just a really well built ability. However, so. word of caution to storytellers: if your player is the blood hunter who brands the bad guy. Be wary of immediately or without some level of effort that's transparent to the party, just getting rid of it. Because if they don't know it exists, they shouldn't know it exists. And you can quickly put yourself in an adversarial relationship with the uh, Blood Hunter player if it's like, because you, the storyteller, know exactly how to get rid of it, but you got to make sure you're role playing your character. Would they know yeah. what it is? Would they know how to get rid of it? Would they know that's the effect? Yeah. Or did they have to go through days before they figured it out or, yep. or, or time yep. before they figured it yeah. out? Yeah. That Just might be, be wary of, of that. Yeah. That might even be one of those things like the blood hunter gets a dream of the big bad that they've tagged talking to their court mage and their court mage coming to them realizing that there's some sort of a curse or some sort of a something on it. Maybe the blood hunter, because of that kind of mystical connection to their quarry, they get some sort of, of a vision or a dream or something that had happened to explain that narratively, because I think you're right, Luanika. It does reek of metagaming on the DM side to go ahead and say, oh, that thing that you spent powers on and that you, that you did so that you could go ahead and do this really cool thing at this moment in time. Oh yeah, no, I dispelled that months ago. It doesn't count anymore. I, I'm with you on that. I think you got to be very careful about that as a storyteller. And Mike, I think this kind of goes to your point earlier that blood hunters are going to be a heavy lift class for your storytellers. There are going oh, yeah. to be things that the storytellers are going to need to be aware of. And this is one of them. And I offer that as a word of caution and a hot tip for how to play it or how to work with it within your campaign, not as a castigation of the <laughs> ability, because I love the Stop ability. It. But it, it, it's it's just one of those things where you want to make sure that if someone's got a cool thing, they get the opportunity to use it and it's dealt with correctly and fairly. Hey there, travelers. Do you want early access to all of our episodes? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? You can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more. For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level, plus Adventurer level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DMs Guild. We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. Let's jump ahead here at ninth level Grim Psychometry. At ninth level, you gain supernatural talent for discerning the secrets surrounding mysterious relics or planes touched by evil. Whenever you make an intelligence check to recall information about the sinister, tragic history of an object you are touching or your current location, you have advantage on the check. So here's my problem with that. One of the very first abilities that you get for being a blood hunter at the very beginning mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. you get mm-hmm. advantage on intelligence check to recall information. And then at ninth level, for your ninth level ability, you get advantage on intelligence checks to recall information. Yeah. I like this is a it's cool. 
this is not a ninth level ability. It's not though. a ninth level power. This is and like they already got it. <laughs> this is like the uh, ranger is getting the ability to hide as a bonus action at fourteenth level. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> I don't know if it's quite that bad. <laughs> it is. I talk a lot of crap about the rangers, but I do like them as a class. But I, I, I mean, love but, them like, as a class. But yeah, they've got it's, some, it's, some it's, design it's, flaws. It's, but it's, like, it's pretty bad. Ninth, the, getting this at ninth levels, oof, like I'll just multi-class into something else. Like, no, I don't, want, yeah. I don't need that. Got it. Eight, eight levels of blood <laughs> hunter. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> so this yeah. would be better if it was a sub feature at fifth or sixth level, and instead of all of that, it was. You now have expertise in history. Done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would be totally cool. honestly given brand of castigation at sixth level. Like I would be totally cool with swapping these around. Like brand of castigation at sixth level is strong enough that okay, I can see that as a ninth level power. Like it maybe it's a little weak for a ninth level power, but it's certainly stronger than this one. And what a, this as a sixth yeah. level power, it would be well placed. Dark Augmentation at 10th level. Magic of the Hemocraft suffuses your body to permanently reinforce your resistance. Your speed increases by 5 feet. You have a bonus to strength, dexterity, and constitution saving throws equal to your Hemocraft modifier. Again, at 10th level, not overpowering. The primary source of threat for the Blood Hunter is not external. It is internal, right? It is, I'm doing damage to myself, and sure, Giving me advantage to my saving throws is fine. It's going to keep what it's going to do is it's going to keep me up so that I can go ahead and continue hurting myself. So that I like that's, but I don't know. It's at 10th level again, it's a little underwhelming at 10th level. At 10th level, your Hemocraft modifier, what that's going to be intelligence or wisdom. What you're basically saying is you're going to add, and when we talked about how you're basically going to have to split your stats, you're only adding a plus three. However, on some of these saves, that plus three on top of what you would normally have could be pretty useful. Strength saves for a fighter or somebody who's in any kind of melee combat could be useful. If you're going against things that have battle master type feats or yep. pushes and things Push like that, that's going to be pretty useful. Similarly, the types of things that's going to give you those bonus. Look, it's not the greatest feature, and I don't know if 10 is the perfect place for it. Yeah. But I think it's actually a little bit better if you dig in and you get using it than it might seem. I just don't like five feet. Like that five feet is useless at a 10. That needs to be earlier. I mean, we already swapped psychometry. I think the deal is get rid of psychometry altogether. Put this at six because that's yep. hot. Yep. And, and then brand, and, and then and leave castigation at nine. Castigation yeah. at not leave that at nine. And I don't know what you do. Maybe toss them another feat because they could use some feats. I don't That's know. That's actually not a bad idea. Actually, at 10th level, give them another ASI. Yeah, yeah, give them an ASI. I think my opinion here, rather than using your Hemocraft modifier, is just to use your, just give people proficiency. I mean, they've already got decks, but give them proficiency in strength, con, and wisdom saving throws, maybe, instead. That's yeah. what I, if I were designing this, that's probably what I would have ended up, ended up I mean, doing. it'd be powerful, but, but, but it's not, it's in the, at 10th level, like diamond soul. I was looking at monk is 14th level. So like it's almost there and it's not proficiency with every saving throw. It's a couple that you don't get that you're probably going to end up using. Yeah. yeah. Again, I get, this is, again, this is just, it's this mid-level stuff that like just doesn't seem to have, it doesn't sing. 
It doesn't sing. And I yeah. wonder if part of the reason why it doesn't sing is because the flavor on these is pretty light also. Like it there's no real kind of narrative reason for for them to get a bonus to these. And maybe so if they added some sauce to it, if they added a little bit of sauce, maybe it would be better. Maybe I would like it better. Because I honestly again, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, honestly, I think Grim Psychometry has better has enough flavor that makes me want to keep it somewhere, even though it's not a good ability. Right? Mm-hmm. But it at least talks to it a little better so mm-hmm. it's, it's almost mm-hmm. like you want to keep it simply because it talks to it level 13 now we're firmly into tier 3 uh, brand of tethering starting at 13th level psychic damage from your brand of castigation increases to twice your modifier additionally a branded creature can't take the dash action and if it attempts to teleport or leave its current plane by any means it takes a boatload of psychic damage and must make a wisdom saving throw on a failure their attempt to teleport fails love it again yeah, as, a, as an advancement this of is the against, sauce this is, that we were looking for from the 10th yeah. level ability. And yeah. This is a no joke power. Like this is <laughs> yeah. this is a no joke. At 13th level, I, it might be a little powerful for 13th level, I think honestly. Like mm-hmm. like the ability to go ahead and keep them from dashing away, like totally cool, but the ability to block them from teleporting to another plane, that that might be a little powerful. But, you mm-hmm. know, I'm here for it. I, I love it. After, I, getting, after getting boned for five levels, I'll take this at level. <laughs> I think 46 is a no joke amount of damage. I love psychic damage. I think it's yep. super cool. Yep. Um, and 46 is a great amount. That's a perfectly timed, spaced. I love this ability at 13. I love the ability as a whole. Love it. Yep. So, and again, after being boned for five levels with basically not, I get, I get a subclass feature at, uh, when do I get subclass features in here? At 11. I get them at 11. Nine and 10 have been awful. And speaking of not great, hardened soul. The boning continues. This is, we have seen this trend before, my friend, when we have talked about other classes. When the classes, the abilities are rolling right along, everything seems fantastic, and then all of a sudden, it's they really, it, it's it's the chicken and egg situation. Mm-hmm. Campaigns don't go to tier four, so they don't focus on tier four powers, and because they don't focus on tier four powers, campaigns don't go to tier four, right? Yeah. Level 14, getting advantage on saving throws against being charmed and frightened. I just hope I hope you're not an elf like, because if you yeah, <laughs> like, come on, give me like, immunity at 14th well, level. Like, come yeah. on, I'm, advantage? I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because that is a very key point. As we've gone through these abilities and we keep going, I keep thinking the only way I'm playing this as a variant human. Yeah, you oh, yeah, because you need the feeds. Yeah, and you need you could probably do a few other things. I think. An ASMR, if you get it out of Monsters of the Multiverse, would be a good hit for this as well. But but generally, it's like they keep narrowing it down. It's I would not want to play this as an elf because guess what? Bone, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. frightened is cool. It sucks if you're in your battle and you got to run away. That's not cool. Honestly, you're at fourteen. Your saves are are not bad, and it, I, I don't know. I don't know. Wow. And and I mean, Char- Charm and Frighten are both a wisdom save, too. So it's like yeah, the one save right. that they haven't talked about yet. And they have potentially no bonus in there. Unless you're playing wisdom instead of in with your build, yeah. then you're probably going to be crappy at those saves anyway. Just give them immunity. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> yeah. okay. It's Players a, yeah. are already immune to being frightened. 
let their characters be immune to be frightened. Exactly. Like, and, like- and again, <laughs> I, I think that Heart and Soul again points out the fact that this class was written before Tasha's. And we definitely saw yeah. – look, we saw significant sort of – I don't want to say power creep because I think that makes it sound negative. But we definitely saw a definite power increase with Tasha's, right? Mm-hmm. It introduced mm-hmm. things that made characters more powerful in general. And I'd be willing to bet that if they looked at Heart and Soul after Tasha's, they said, yeah, you know what? That's crappy. Let's we give need them something a else bit, here. A little bit yeah. more here. And again, no narrative. Just like, yeah. yep, you can't be charmed or frightened anymore. Not, uh, you can't be charmed. You're immune to charm or frighten from the creatures that you're hunting. Or exactly. Right. Something. Like that, the, the that I would like. like yeah. Just that I would like a lot because that would make sense. You're now trained against these specific things. You know. Honestly, yeah. you could replace some of these with an ability, and it makes it way too much like a ranger, which is why it goes to Mike's point. They should have simply made a ranger subclass, and then you could make it all flavor to the specific hunters, the favorite enemies, the environment, and then do that with that one. And then with the another, and then with the fighter one, you do more into the battle stuff and yeah. less of this stuff. And what? Still getting a crappy 14th level ability. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It all balances <laughs> out perfectly with Ranger. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and then onto the 20th level power. So again, the capstone alpha power of the Blood Hunter <laughs> Sanguine Ooh. Mastery. Upon reaching 20th level, your mastery of blood magic reaches its height, mitigating your sacrifice and empowering your expertise. Once per turn. Once per turn. Whenever a Blood Hunter feature requires you to roll a die, you can roll the die again and use the roll of your choice. So I'm lucky. You're lucky. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, lucky yeah. lucky with your with choice. Yeah. With your class specific die. Yep. You, it's you, like, you you get advantage on your hemocraft rolls. Like that's yeah, that's exactly. Additionally, when, you're probably taking out your low average four and making it an eight. Yeah, yeah, but if you, at if you think about level. it this way as well, though, you're also taking that amount of damage yourself. Yeah. So I think you know, personally, I would rather have resistance yeah. to the damage I would do to myself or something like that that would mitigate that instead of letting me choose between two dice rolls. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm reading this wrong, but when it says mitigating the sacrifice, does that mean you don't take the damage at 20? Here's the thing is that that's what the flavor says. But the mechanic says, yeah, and the mechanic doesn't true. mention you basically get about to, so if you're because you're taking right? damage based like, on your hemocraft die. So it's like, I roll a d10. Oh, I got a five. I take five points of damage. Now it's I, okay. I'm taking damage from a hemocraft. I roll a five and a three. I take three points of damage instead. That's yeah, actually I, so it doesn't actually so like the word that they use does not mean what they think it means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I wish you could roll it twice and use one for yourself and one for that would be cool. But yeah. honestly, I think that would oh. be better as replace that 14th yep. level one and do that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. And then for the 20, now you're immune. At 20, yeah. you're immune. Later, earlier on, you get that choice or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think you could fill in some of those weak levels with yep. some kind of uh, mitigation of some kind. Yep. Uh, to your hemocraft eye, like your your yeah. damage from your hemocraft eye, yeah. and I think and, that would be a way to improve that. Yeah, and, and again, like as a as an ability, not bad. As the capstone ability for a level twenty blood hunter, weak sauce. And not only do you go ahead and get the ability to go ahead and roll your hemocraft rolls at advantage, you get one additional blood curse usage per day. They definitely kept in theme with making the capstone abilities crappy, as, <laughs> as fifth edition has done. 
for yeah. so many of the classes. Yeah, like, it's true. Yeah. It's true. It really is. It's it really is. It's it's unfortunate. Yeah. Not all classes can be the druid. So yeah, yeah. the mage is casting a ninth level uh, a ninth level wish exactly in wild shape, and the cleric is talking to their god and getting pretty much whatever they want. Yeah, right, exactly. You, know, you get to choose which of your hemocraft yeah. die. Your paladins have third tier smite. That's exactly yeah. Fighter. So I think that. Going over kind of the abilities here, I, I I think that nothing in this has changed my our assessment from the beginning. That boy, there are some cool things here, but it is not consistent. It falls off the wagon, and there's a lot of complex. There's a lot of complexity here, and I know that we didn't get mm-hmm. like into the blood curses in detail, but. The blood curses are, are, are the blood curses are probably the coolest part of this because of mm-hmm. their ability. But uh, there's some real big kind of issues with action economy and stuff like that. Some of their powers are really great, and some of their powers are really bad. But there's really no there's no mid level like that. So I was like, there's some things that we would put at different levels and stuff like that. But it's pretty inconsistent. Yeah, let's talk about the subclasses a little bit here. The Ghost Slayer, oldest of the Blood Hunter orders, members having originally rediscovered the secrets of Hemocraft and refined them for combat against the Scourge of Death. Ghost Slayer seek out and study the moment of death, obsessing over the mystery and transition of life, the unholy power that can cause the dead to rise once more. These zealous blood hunters make it their life's work to destroy the scourge of undeath wherever it is found, turning their abilities to engage undead creatures and those who manipulate the necromancy that creates them. So I remember when uh, we talked about rangers and everything like that, and we talked about the monster slayer subclass in the rangers and how much we loved that. This is very parallel to the monster slayer. Powers mm-hmm. are a little bit different. The powers are, are they're I actually think it's uh, mechanically I thought that of the four of them, I think this was the one that I liked best kind of from a mechanics point of view. It was kind of one that I wanted to play most. I thought it was the I thought it was the most mature of the orders in here. I thought that particularly like curse specialist was really nice and and it's really good at overcoming a big restriction on the base class itself. Mm-hmm. I thought that mm-hmm. Etherwalk was okay. I thought that th- Brand of Sundering got very specific, but it was fine. Like, I didn't have a problem with that. And their higher level powers are no joke. Like, Blood Curse of the Exorcist is a no joke power. That is a Mm. really nice. uh, You hone your Hemocraft to tear corruption from the minds of bodies of your allies and to punish those responsible for it. You gain the Blood Curse of the Exorcist for your Blood Maledict feature. It doesn't count against your number of Blood Curses known. Blood Curse of the Exorcist is a bonus action. You choose one creature you can see within 30 feet that is already charmed or frightened or which is under a possession effect, the target creature is no longer charmed, frightened, or possessed. And when you amplify it, they uh, a creature that is charmed, frightened, or possessed, creature that ch- the creature that charmed them now takes three d six psychic damage when you over when you overcast it. So it's that nice. You're suffered under a condition. You're no longer under that condition, and whoever did it to you is now taking damage. And I thought that was a really nice ability. It's well placed at fifteen. It's it, it's really nice. And the eighteenth level ability was fine. Revival the uh, upon reaching. 18th level, you learn to protect your fading life by reabsorbing the energy you feed to your weapons. If you have one or more Crimson Rites active and you're reduced to zero hit points but don't die, you can choose to have all your active Crimson Rites and drop to one hit point instead. I, I think it was fine. It's the nice, oh, I'm not dead yet power, which mm-hmm. we see all over the place. It was fine. Right. But I, yeah. My issue that is is that it's at 18th level when there are races that get this as their base package. <laughs> yeah. So it, it feels like, yeah. 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 <laughs> A little bit late, but yeah. I like 
I like this, but you glossed over how cool the Rite of Dawn was, the early one, basically. Mm. Your weapon sheds bright light up to 20 feet. Great, mm-hmm. especially since you're probably going to have to play a variant human anyway. You're resistant to necrotic damage. I'm going to drive that particular nail into the coffin for a long time, by the way. When you hit an undead creature at the right you and your Rite of Dawn is active, you roll an additional Hemocraft die to determine extra damage for the room. <laughs> I love that's all very thematic, and I, it, it really increased the flavor a lot. But the thing about all of these, the subclasses is that they are specific to the campaign that you are playing, right? If we're, if I'm playing a blood hunter and we get, I get up to third level and we've been fighting a bunch of undead, I'm going order of the ghost slayer. No question. If it's other things, then I would dip into, I would go into other subclasses. Yep. I, I think for the right campaign, like we've said earlier, like for the right campaign, each of these subclasses is the right subclass to pick, essentially. Yep. So, yep. and we see that very obviously. I uh, could definitely see a Eberron uh, supernatural type campaign where basically sure. you're playing the Winchester Guild and somebody <laughs> would be a ghost slayer or whatever. I mm-hmm. like, and actually, that sounds like a really fun idea, by the way. <laughs> but. <laughs> Lee, do you want to come join my Eberron campaign? (laughs) Always, Mike. You were talking about it on your last show. And I'm like, man, that's very good. So Order of the Lycan. Yeah, basically Order of the Lycan. You get what you you hear on the 10 there. It is the lycanthropy subclass. An ancient curse of lycanthropy is feared by nearly all peoples and cultures. Passed through blood and seeding a host with the savage strength and hunger for a for violent of a wicked beast for violence of a wicked beast. Sorry, but yeah, basically the uh, the order of the lichen tames the canthropy, so to speak, to have a kind of like useful version of it essentially yeah. for themselves or a malleable version of it for themselves. And again, like the uh, the flavor and stuff here is really cool, and I think for the right campaign would be. Awesome. And also, I just, who doesn't want to play a werewolf, right? So totally, this yeah. is your chance to do that, right? Yeah. My, <laughs> I, I am so looking forward to my, my turtle order of the lichen for the class warfare. I, <laughs> I think that that's very a, 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 a were turtle. I can't, I cannot wait. I totally agree with you. I thought the flavor of this order was magnificent. Like chef's kiss. So good. Powers were all... A little all over the place. Again, we can get to that point of there are just a ton of options. So like when you transform, you get your hybrid transformation at third level. You, as a bonus action, transform into a special hybrid form for up to an hour, speak, use equipment, etc. while on the forum and revert back as a bonus action. Or if you fall unconscious or, or die, pretty standard. But the features that you get when you transform, there's just so many... Things again, we see that like positive and negative thing, right? So you get extra uh, bonus to your strength. You get a bonus to AC if you're not wearing heavy armor, basically. You see, you can apply your crimson right to unarmed strike. So it gives you that claw attack and you get bloodlust in that as well, though. So if you are under your hit, half of your hit point maximum, which if you're a blood hunter that's spending blood to do cool stuff, you're going <laughs> to be there. there. You're always you're under your hit there. point maximum. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially at lower levels when you don't really have a whole lot of hit points to get rid of. But there's this drawback of bloodlust where you might succumb to the bloodlust of the lycanthropy yeah. and attack a friend or whoever's closest to you. Whoever's closest, um, exactly. Yeah. 
I liked this. Uh, I guess I liked it a little. I liked the Ghost Slayer better than this one, mm-hmm. but I kind of thought this would be cool. You could have uh, Dom Fear. You could have you could have one of these in a party, and then have a Revenant, and basically have being human in, in a fantasy game. Uh, a vampire, a werewolf, and an undead share an apartment, mm. and, and, and hilarity <laughs> ensues. We'll see. Maybe I am wrong. Nothing bowled me over with the powers in here. Um, mm-hmm. but maybe we'll see mm-hmm. when we record the class warfare. One thing that it does well is builds on top of itself, which yep. I think is something that the Blood Hunter class as a whole kind of struggles with. Yep. But for the Lycan, like you, when you transform, you get kind of base stats bonuses here. Once you hit seventh level, you get a plus one to your attacks and with your unarmed strikes, your Damage with your unarmed strikes is going to go up. You get increased movement. Like it just builds in it. It builds nice. Yeah. It's like finally some good design that we've been, I've been wanting to see out of this. Some decent progression. That is very true. So, all right. Order of the Mutant. A process of undertaking Hunter's Bane is a painful, scarring, and sometimes fatal experience. Those who survive are irrevocably changed. Over generations of experimentation, a splinter order of blood hunters honed the way in which Hemocraft alters the body using corrupted alchemy and toxic elixirs to alter their blood even further. Over time, they have modified their capabilities in battle, becoming something beyond what they once were, calling themselves the Order of the Mutant. These blood hunters now specialize in assessing the strengths and weaknesses of their foes, altering their biology to the best and to be best prepared for any conflict this one's really cool and i think that honestly of all of the kind of blood hunter things this is the one that kind of strikes me as its own class more than anything else right like this is almost it's like a variation on an artificer sort of i think it's really cool but i don't think what was happening up in my head when i was reading it was actually what was on the page mm-hmm, uh, i kept I, wanting it to get better <laughs> i think this would be a really cool subclass for the artificer in fact yeah to be a companion to the alchemist in a way because it, yeah. it mirrors it in a lot of ways but provides some differences as well that i think could be really juicy for an artificer. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. And I, I also thought that I'm going to try to explain what I mean by this here, but I feel like the best things that this subclass gets are like the ability to counteract the effects of its own powers, <laughs> which is a really weird dynamic, right? It's yeah. like the best thing that this subclass does is not suffer from its own stuff. And that's not a great rule set to play by. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't know. Luanika, what'd you think? I, try to be as constructive in my criticisms as, <laughs> as I possibly can. Yeah. And I try to never be wholesale down on something. And this may just boil down to, I just don't freaking get it. Like, I just don't freaking get it. Like yeah. I have no, like you said, it was really cool and it had some neat things. There was nothing I read about this that made me want to say, Ooh, I, I, I would want to work with that or I would want to do with that. I didn't find any of it particularly interesting as you guys are, are talking about it. And as we, go into some of the abilities a little bit. My thought about an individual thing may change to being moderately okay, but honestly, this was just not for me. One thing that it it points out really well is the kind of give and take that the Bloodhunter has as a whole, which I appreciate. So a lot of the mutagens, it's like 
you gain resistance to fire damage, but vulnerability to cold damage. Yeah. Right, um, right. So it's that kind of gamble that you're taking with the things that you're making and with what you're consuming and using and so forth there as well. I, I think it adds an additional resource onto an already resource heavy class, which can be a struggle. And it doesn't scale quite as well as I would like, because like by 18th level, you get three mutagens and eight formulas like eight formulas known is fine but only having access to three of those at a time is yeah. a little light for 18th level all right lee winika your moment to shine the profane soul warlock uh, blood hunter look let's put all the cards on the table i love me some warlock i've only played one of them mm-hmm. but some of my favorite things to do is to storytell be a dm at a table with warlocks or paladins who whose powers and even though they're not based on de- deities anymore but they're part of orders that deal with the same things that warlocks do and i've done that at my tables i think there's so much narrative flavor there that it's beyond the pale and with these the way it's structured like here are the various patrons and they give you the abilities you're literally in a situation where you get to find a different way to do a warlock. And that's what I really liked about it. When I built mine for class warfare, this is what it was based on. I'm like, okay, of these, what I'm going to do, I'm going to pick, I picked the hex blade in this case, because I had never played a hex blade before. Mm. So I'm like, I'm going to lean all into this blood hunter thing and I'm going to go hex blade and everything just flowed Mm. really well. It did require feats. So I took the right feats to augment this, to make it work. But I just love all the elements of it. So striking a bargain. Great. Hex is one of my favorite spells of all time. You get these cantrips. I took the warlock initiate. So now my mid, my tier three characters got three different cantrips that are all immeasurably useful under multiple types of circumstances. I've got my Eldritch Blast. I've got my different ones. This is just good stuff. It really just lends itself well. And now I also get to cast spells. So, Two quick things about the spell casting that this subclass gets at seventh mm-hmm. and fifteenth level. At least the spells they get are useful, but mm-hmm. getting a bonus third level spell at level fifteen and even getting a bonus second level spell at level seven is nothing. That should be bigger. At so least here's- the spells they get are useful. And, and right, that's the one thing it's got going for it. If you were playing a third caster class, what level spells would you be getting for those? You're making a third caster with warlock spell slots. And I, I think it, in that yeah. regard, it balances a little better. Mm. Because I find these spells to be more useful than some of the third casters. And I'm speaking specifically about the Eldritch Knight and the uh, Trickster Rogue. I think these spells are much more useful than those spells. And part of it is I don't like those particular character archetypes, right? So those aren't the things I would choose to play. If I wanted to do a knight spellcaster, a fighting spellcaster, it would Mm -hmm. be closer to this. These are the types of spells I would want my, my fighter to have not the ones that come with the Eldritch Knight. If I if I wanted to play a rogue in something like that, I could see a rogue blood, blood hunter and I would take like the assassin a subclass and try to mix that in some kind of way. I, yeah. I would still want these type of spells. And I don't need a whole lot of them because I needed to augment the, 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 the prime. I, like, I don't, the cantrips are what you spam. Everything else you use at the key moment. 
And yeah. that's why I think this is just enough. Okay. I think any more and you would outshine the warlock, which is what you never want to do. Yeah. The goal is I, not I, to outshine the thing you're borrowing from. Yeah, uh, I can see that. So I, I can see that. That's why for me it worked. And as I built the character, I don't know how it plays. It's getting play tested very soon. Yeah. But I have a feeling that it's going to be very effective. Now, whether it's effective with three other blood hunters or not, or whether it needs to be in a party with some other type character types, that's what we're going to, that's one of the experiments we're about to run. So we'll have a better idea then, but I don't know. I, I'm looking just, forward to it. Yeah. Gaining one additional use of fireball at 15th level though. I don't know. I, I, again, if it was like, if I could cast that without a spell slot as many times as I wanted to at 15th level. Yeah. Now you're talking, but I gain one additional use of a third level spell. That's not. Super. And you only ever get two spell slots. It doesn't go up beyond that you get two slots like yeah, i said that's true too yeah yeah but you're borrowing from the warlock who doesn't get a lot of spell slots either yeah. but by the time they get to 10th level warlocks have what like five spell slots or something like that they have a handful yeah and like um, i said so you're so, a third you're a third caster uh, uh, in a warlock vein so it actually tracks if with that yeah. mentality yeah but it doesn't like scale though Right. You look at the spell slots, you get third, fourth, fifth level, you have one spell slot. At sixth level, you have two spell slots. And then you just keep two spell slots all the way up for to 14 level. more levels. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. I just want a little bit more out of yeah. it. I, I think I it probably should have, it should have got three at least. <laughs> well, it's totally like the music. Three thing, somewhere right? around like 10th level or so. Yeah. A lot of what I've heard from. Lee gushing about this class has confirmed that to me, this should just be an add on to the warlock. To the this should be, yeah. it, it, it should be like a, a new, like, pact, not a patron, a pact that you get, like, pact of the yep. blade or the tome or whatever, pact of yep. the blood, and a whole mm -hmm. bunch of invocations that do what all of the level up stuff does yeah, here. with the subclass yeah. here. I think if this were a warlock, like, pact and a set of invocations or suite of invocations that I would never play any other characters ever again. And it would be a hundred percent solid. It would be a serious top tier contender for the throne that currently the, the hex blade holds. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I think when you could be a hex blade warlock with a pact of the blood and all a lot of these invocations still, and it would work really well. All that to go ahead and say, I think that we have uh, we have beaten the blood hunter enough uh, for this last hour and a half here. Into a I bloody pulp, you might say. Yeah, right, <laughs> very nicely done. I, I appreciate you hitting that down for me. There we go. That's there is the eighteenth level uh, blood curse of the soul eater, where you just get to true. <laughs> that yeah, it's got some cool stuff. There's that's just right. a few. Yeah. We've done that enough to the blood hunter. Continue. We've done yeah. that enough to the blood hunter tonight, Mike. Thank you so very much for popping on here tonight. For those of us, for those of our listeners out there that are somehow not familiar with your show, uh, please <laughs> uh, let's specific <laughs> episodes that I've appeared on. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 oh. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, especially the ones that we've been on, or that whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, tell our listeners where they can find you and how they can check out Nineteen Hits the Dragon. Yeah. First of all, guys, thank you so much for, for having me on. Always a blast to get to to chat with you here and, and talk some shop. So I very much appreciate the uh, the opportunity to come on and, and be a part of the show as often as possible. And yeah, for listeners who are interested in hearing more of my voice and my hot takes on tabletop <laughs> RPGs, you can find me over on 19 Hits the Dragon, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, 
just search 19 hits the dragon and I'll probably be there. And if I'm not on that podcatcher that you use, you can tweet at me at 19, the number 19 hits the dragon and tell me that I'm not on your podcatcher of choice. And then I will get on your podcatcher of choice. (laughs) And yeah, I do uh, conversations, interviews, discussions about tabletop RPGs. We do one shots occasionally as well with our guests, but I, I bring guests from the creative tabletop RPG space onto the show to talk shop and offer advice for players, GMs, designers, anyone who would want to sit down at a table to play some. So yeah, come hang out. It's a good time. Yeah, it really is a great show. And we, we love having you on too, man. That's really like, uh, yeah. like, like we've said, we've had the chance to drop some dice with you before the Real Thing RPG. We had the Aliens RPG uh, back in October. And yep, yep, any single yep. time that we can go ahead and have any excuse we can find to go ahead and bring you in and shop to go ahead and talk about stuff, uh, we will take that every single day of the week. Yeah, I think there are plans for which Which very convenient segue brings me to. So this is our last episode of Critical Role Month. Forlorn though we are to say, but man, it has been a killer month of some really great shows. Next week, on Tabletop Journeys, we are going to be sitting down talking about our latest book that just is on DM's Guild, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. We're going to be uh, be peeling back the curtain a little bit, talking about uh, some of the stuff that's in the book, some of the stuff that we really like that's in the book, and that we hope that you enjoy, and some of the ideas that we've got for how you can bring the concepts to from that book and the plot hooks from that book to your table to make your next campaign legendary. Uh, so that'll be a good time. Uh, again, Thanks again, Mike, for popping on here. Really appreciate you and you popping on to go ahead and talk uh, Blood Hunter with us. And uh, Liwanika, pleasure to see you as always. Uh, so please, we want to we're going to be putting all this critical role content in a playlist for you all, so you can uh, inject it all together. But we would love to go ahead and hear from you about uh, what you think about all these critical role shows. What's the next kind of theme that you want to hear from us? I know we're already talking about doing some Eberron content in May, so that'll be a good time. I see Mike uh, raising his eyebrows and smiling at us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that was in plan way before we knew that you were running uh, this uh, this fabulous uh, this fabulous Eberron I campaign. Knew. So, uh, Sometimes. Yeah. Things just work out really well. It know? really does. It's true. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Serendipity. Um, uh, but mm-hmm. that. But that is going to also not only are we going to be talking Eberron content, but May is also going to include an interview with James Intercasso to go ahead and come on and talk about Eberron. So that'll be a fantastic time. So I'm really looking forward to that. But let us know what you want to let us know what you want us to go ahead and talk about for June, July, August. We uh, we have a summer open for possibilities. Uh, some more actual plays coming your way. Some more other stuff too. But yeah. let us know what you want to hear. Let us know what you want to talk about, and we will make sure to throw it in rotation. So Definitely. we have a questions from the audience episode coming up here in a couple of weeks, also, which are always fun. So we'll be watching for that on Twitter. So. All right. Gentlemen, thank you very much for spending some time with us uh, this evening. Uh, Mike, good to see you as always. I'm sure we'll talk Great again Great to see you all. And, uh, Thanks again for having yeah. me on. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. That's our show for this week. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Have a good night. Thank you so much. Good night. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes.
Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.